Good morning, Freshwater family. It's a great honor to be with you this morning, sharing scripture with you. Uh, I'd also like to just say uh, happy Mother's Day to all you wonderful mothers out there. And to those mothers who don't feel very wonderful, uh, don't feel bad. It's your kid's fault, okay? And everybody knows it. So I just want you to have that blessing for me today. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the story in John chapter 11 this week. Uh, it's a familiar passage. It's the story of Lazarus, uh, which uh, most of us probably know pretty well. So if you can start turning there to John chapter 11, while you're doing that, I want to just remind you why John wrote the gospel. And we've talked about this many uh, uh, over the last several weeks as we've gone through several uh, sessions through John. But he says in, in chapter 20, he says, he wrote, writes this so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, as we look into John 11 today, this story of Lazarus, we're going to see those two words, belief and life, illustrated and developed so very clearly. Now, uh, we're entering a story of a death, of a burial and a time of sadness. <clears throat> So uh, I want to um, just convey a few things. It's good to know a few things about Jewish custom back at that time uh, surrounding death. And I'm not a scholar on Jewish uh, customs or culture, so if you are, you're going to be very disappointed in me. There's not much here, but just look for some, uh, some things that you can correlate to the story. So here's, here's a few things. Jewish tradition held that when a person died, the body was washed from head to toe, and no matter the person's uh, standing, whether that be financially or anything else, uh, everyone was wrapped in simple cloths and their face covered just to symbolize equality in death. Now, the dead were buried oftentimes the same day that they died, but generally within one day of death they were buried, except on the Sabbath. And there's a tradition taken from the Talmud that the soul hovers over the body for three days uh, after death. There's a seven-day period starting at the day of burial where the family is to mourn, and they call that Shiva. And uh, during Shiva, there's a lot of different customs. One of those is that the mourners uh, don't usually leave their house. Uh, they generally stay in the house. And you'll actually see a picture of that in John chapter 11. And uh, during that time, neighbors and friends prepare meals, provide for the family, and they come to the family and will weep and mourn uh, with the family of the deceased. And of course, there's many more, but that's just what's pertinent to us today. So keep those in mind as we, as we read through the, uh, the story in John chapter 11. Now, I'm going to read all the way through verse 44, and I know half of you just said to yourself, seriously, 44 verses? Yes, uh, but I'm thinking that you actually like to read your Bible. So there's that. So uh, stay with me. We'll pause a few times. We'll make some observations as we go, and I'll make sure you don't get any eye cramps from reading so much, because I, I guess you're not used to it if you said that. Okay, so John chapter 11. Start with me in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, quick break here. This verse 4 
is the purpose statement. This is real easy. Jesus tells us right here why everything's happening. He says it is for the glory of God, listen to this part, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. This is like a slow pitch softball right down the middle. We can't miss this. This is it. Although, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not that good at softball. It's not that easy to me. I'm not sure if any, there's anybody else out there who could strike out at slow pitch softball, but I actually can. Okay, when I played Little League, I was the kid that if the other team didn't have enough players to field their team, my coach would send me to the other team to play. Okay, that's, that's where I'm coming from. But anyway, slow pitch softball, real easy. This is clear. This is why. Now, may be glorified. The Son of God may be glorified. Now, that's not an action of God. So pay attention to the wording there. That's an action of the people. After the end of this story, so we want to look for what that action is at the end. So we'll come back to this. All right, let's keep going. Verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Did you hear that? Jesus loved them, so he stayed. Very interesting. Verse 7, Then after he said this to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. There's that word believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. He's a, a dramatic Thomas there. Um, here's, uh, here's what I want us to notice uh, real quickly right here. When you read this, do you oftentimes see the disciples as dense dumb, not able to catch on to what Jesus is talking about. I know I do a lot, and they get a bad rap, but honestly, that's not true here. That's bad Bible reading. So let me show you what's going on. Look at verse 14. Then Jesus told them plainly, it says. That means Jesus was not speaking plainly before that. Now, you all know what I'm talking about. Guys, when your wife says something that it really means one thing to you, but doesn't mean what you think it should mean. Uh, after 22 years, almost 22 years of marriage, I've kind of figured out a little bit of the code with my wife. Maybe means yes. I figured that out. And uh, I don't know when she says, I don't know, that means no. Although sometimes when she says, I don't know, she means yes. And unfortunately, there's other times when she says, I don't know, that means I don't know. So. I guess maybe I haven't really figured much out, but that's what's going on here. He's not speaking plainly. So we can't hold that against them. Here's what I would say about this. During times like this that you see in Scripture, Jesus sees things so differently that he says things differently. 
And until more is revealed to those around him, it's not plain. So keep that in mind as we go into this next section. So we're starting back up in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. So Jesus makes another I am statement here. We've seen a few of these already in John, and there's some more to come. And this is a very powerful one. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. We're going to come back to that in greater detail later. For right now, I want you to take note of what Jesus says to Martha and Martha's response. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And Mary's response in verse 24 isn't bad. It's actually really good. Again, don't think she's missing the point. She says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. It's actually a fantastic answer. And why do I say that? In John chapter 6 alone, four different times, Jesus says, I will raise him up or raise it up on the last day. That was exactly Martha's answer. It was perfect. Martha was listening. She, she got it right. She believed the teaching. However, it wasn't the full and complete response, and therefore the understanding was not full and complete. Jesus says other things in chapter 6 and 8 about uh, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever, and if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. So what do you do with all that? How is she supposed to deal with all of that? It's confusing when it's taken all together. Here, Jesus pulls it all together under himself. But listen to how confusing it is in verse 25. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. This is really confusing. And then Jesus asks her, do you believe this? What would you say if you didn't know the end of this story and what's about to happen? What would you say to that question? So her answer is actually quite amazing. Look at it again. She says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Notice she doesn't even comment on what Jesus just said. It's incomprehensible to her at this point. She can't put it all together. So even though she doesn't grasp the concept, she says, I believe you are who you say you are. That's all she had at that point, but it was everything that she needed at that point. 
It reminds me of the story in Mark chapter 9. There's a story of a father who brings his son to Jesus to cast a demon out. A demon is just wreaking havoc on this young boy's life, and therefore their entire family. And the father says to Jesus something along the lines of, if you can do anything. And Jesus says, if. All things are possible to those who believe. And the man's response is incredible. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. Can you relate to that? I believe and yet I still struggle. I, I can't seem to put it all together and yet in my heart I still trust you. The belief is there, I just can't grab it all. That's what's going on here. So there could still be doubts even with the belief. All right, let's keep reading. We're in verse 28 now. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Have you thought about why Jesus wept? A lot of us know this short verse in here. But have you thought about it? It's in here. If you've missed it, let me just tell you, it's not because Lazarus was dead, his beloved friend. Jesus knew in a matter of minutes he would see him alive and well again. So it wasn't that. Also, I want you to notice how an unbeliever really acts. Do you see at the very end of that part, the Jews said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Really? You'd think healing a blind man would have been enough. It should have been enough. But an unbeliever at heart, no matter how many signs, no matter how many miracles, just will not believe. Okay, let's read this last section here, verse 38 through 44. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? Now, quick note, the glory of God here is different than in verse 4, the purpose statement. Remember, the purpose statement in verse 4 is that God would be glorified. This is us seeing the glory of God. This is a God action. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Did you see the glory of God raising a man who had been dead for four days back to life? That's incredible power that only God has. But again, we need to remember that's not the same as what verse 4 was telling us was the purpose here. Otherwise, we can uh, unfortunately think that the whole purpose here is to know that God can raise someone from the dead. And there's, there's actually more to it. Let's go back to this phrase, resurrection and life, that Jesus makes in verse 25. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus, as he does in so many places in Scripture, teaches that these spiritual realities, resurrection, life, salvation, redemption, light, aren't just concepts to be grasped. They aren't just activities. They are him. He is all of these things. And look at these two words. I used to gloss over these and just automatically combine them in my tiny little brain. Resurrection and life. These are two different things. And they're illustrated at the end of this passage. And so I want to say they're different. So I want you to know spiritually you can have resurrection and not have life. Look at the very end of what we just read. Verse 44, the man who had died came out. That's resurrection. Would you agree with that? He's resurrected at that time. But what does it say next? His hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. What if they left him like that? Bound, covered, barely able to move, completely unable to function. That's not life. That's not living. One of the greatest tragedies I think that I see in the church today is so many Christians that have resurrection, but no life. They have received their salvation. They they see the benefit there. But they live like a dead man or a dead woman. There is an unbinding that must take place from the effects of our past sin, of of things that may have been done to us, uh, strongholds of the evil one, and then blessing and filling of the Holy Spirit is needed to get that full life. And it's available to you. I know it is, but you have to want that. Here we call that freedom ministry. Would you take a, a really truthful, honest look at yourself and say, and ask yourself, am I really living free? Am I truly living? Or is there, there baggage from my past? Am I, am I held back by something? I may not even have words for it. You can have that full life. Jesus has it for you. I also want you to observe with me that Jesus invited others into that action of unbinding. He is not the one that did it. He said, uh, he, he gave a command, actually, not even an invite. He commanded, unbind him and let him go. So it's, it's more than just an invite, it's a command. And where there is a command, there's authority given. And when there, there is authority, we have power. So you have the command, the authority, and the power 
to help people with this. Not just your own life, but others. That's part of full Christian living. So a shameless plug for our freedom classes. I don't know when the next ones will be, but if you want freedom, if you know you need it, or if you know that you have no idea how to help someone get there, or even yourself for that matter, go to those freedom classes. They're an incredible journey, a short journey, just through some of those things, hearing from the Holy Spirit, and really set you free to walk a full life. Okay. Let's get to this last and main point. Finally, Jesus told us in verse 4 that the point of all this going on was that so the Son of God may be glorified. So did you see it happen? Did you see it happen in what we read? It wasn't that Lazarus was raised. Remember, that was us seeing the glory of God. So what was the result of the people who were around? Okay, I won't keep you waiting. We didn't read it. So here's my quick Bible reading tip for the day. Don't be fooled by the made-up breaks and headings and even chapter and verse numbers in your Bible. If we stopped here, we would miss the end of the story. We would miss the point and the fulfillment of verse 4. So look at verse 45 quickly. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. They believed in him. That was the action. And actually, flip over to chapter 12 in verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, he had celebrity status by then, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. God was glorified through the belief of the people that ensued the miracle. That was what was glorifying God. I want to point out there are two types of belief that we see in this story. One is what we just read. That's new belief. Those are people that didn't believe before, but believe now. They, they have chosen to take a step of faith. They believe they saw something, something shifted in them, and then now they believe. <clears throat> I'm, I'm guessing there are people here or watching online who may not believe in Christ yet, who may not believe that Jesus was who he says he is. And I want to ask you something. What more do you need? Through the book of John, we have seen Jesus claim to be God, claim to have the same authority as God, and he accentuates all of these things that he says with miracle after miracle after miracle. What are you waiting for? These are all copied down by eyewitnesses. There's a lot of evidence. At some point, it takes faith, it takes a step of belief to come to him. Without that belief, the glory that you owe to our King, our Creator, our resurrection, our life, is impossible. Hebrews 11, chapter 6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists. In other words, they must believe that He is who He says He is. What more 
do you need? But that's not the only belief in this story. In addition to new belief, there is also deeper belief. Martha was already a believer. She knew his teaching. She declared Jesus to be the Christ, the Messiah. And yet Jesus wanted her to have deeper belief. <clears throat> his disciples were obviously believers, but they needed deeper belief. Their belief was there, but it wasn't mature. It needed to deepen. It needed to be pushed beyond where it was. <coughs> Here's the break. <clears throat> and God does that with us by taking us, as verse 4 said, through it. Verse 4 said the Son of God would be glorified through it. Honestly, it seems mean to me that Jesus let Lazarus die. <clears throat> he had already proven he could heal. He had already proven that he could heal across distance. Distance even meant nothing. And yet, he stayed purposefully away for extra days and didn't go see him didn't go to Mary and Martha at their greatest need. My guess is Lazarus was probably <clears throat> the financial provider for Martha and Mary. They were facing a very uncertain future in that culture at that time. But we never get that sense from Mary and Martha that they thought anything was mean about what Jesus did. Jesus had even raised two other people from the dead that we see in other Gospels recorded. They were both on the same day of death or the day of burial, which could have been the same day as death. But here, he pushes them past their traditions. He pushes them beyond what they thought was possible in order to give them the opportunity to have deeper belief. He needed them to go through it, not around it, to get there. You know, I know we, myself included, oftentimes pray that God would take us around whatever it is that's in front of us. And then we get frustrated when He doesn't answer. He doesn't come through. He doesn't deliver. How our perspective should change when we see the blessing of actually going through it. So my final request for you today is to reflect on this. Are you going through it? Are you going through something that just doesn't make sense to you? That's incredibly difficult. That's painful. It seems impossible, maybe. Or maybe God has asked you to do something that's very difficult. It's beyond your comfort zone. Or maybe He's asked you to go somewhere, serve somewhere, talk to someone. And you just wonder, does God even know what He's asking me to do? Does he know how hard this is going to be? There's no way he understands. As you go through it, are you going through it like you actually believe that Jesus is who he says he is? God is looking for you to have deeper faith. Yes, he's taking you through it, and you may not understand it, and it may hurt, but do you trust him? 
Will you glorify him with belief or will you push back? Will you question his motives? Will you question his nearness? Will you question his judgment? Will you doubt that he is who he says he is? Or maybe you're waiting for a sign. Jesus gave a lot of signs. Jesus still gives signs today. But let me ask you this. Maybe the sign you're waiting for has already been given. Maybe in your life, he's already done something that's proven what you need to know to follow through. Or maybe there's something in Scripture that he has already revealed about himself that gives you that sign. And really, you're just hesitating because of unbelief. God knows who we are. He knows that we're weak. He never gives us more than we can handle. We constantly build this life of belief. Your next one step of belief is built on the thousand that came before. I also want you to know one last thing. Jesus doesn't leave us alone during these times when we're going through it. In fact, the reason Jesus wept is because he saw the pain in everyone around him and he was so moved out of love. I want to remind you that's how much Jesus loves you. His love isn't based on what we've done or not done, who we are or who we aren't. In fact, John, who wrote this gospel, he, he refers to himself as uh, the disciple that Jesus loved. And it seems a little arrogant, but did you see at the beginning? Mary and Martha even refer to Lazarus as the one you love. John documents that Jesus loved Lazarus, Mary, Martha. John, in 1 John chapter 4, sees another revealed truth of God. He writes that God is love. Not just that God is loving, God is love. John knew that, Mary knew that, Martha knew that, even Lazarus knew that. That's why they were confident, saying that they were ones that Jesus loved. Not arrogant at all. It kind of reminds me of a funeral I attended many, many years ago for my wife's grandmother. One of Erica's cousins got up front <clears throat> to say something, and uh, he said that he always thought he was grandma's favorite. And everybody kind of chuckled. And then another cousin got up there, and she said the same thing. She thought she was grandma's favorite. I got up there to read some scripture, and I said, look, I know I'm married into this family, but I got to be honest, I actually thought I was grandma's favorite. You know, after the funeral, we all got to talk, and everybody thought, they were grandma's favorite. It was incredible how she loved. It's just like it with our God. You are Jesus' favorite. You are loved by him. You have the resurrection and the life with you. You have the one who proved his lordship over death, over sickness, over time, over distance, over tradition. He is with you, walking with you all the time through it, through whatever it is that you're going through. He knows your hesitancy. He knows your confusion. He knows your pain. He knows your fears. And he's right there. He wants you to go deeper into belief. So I think God is asking you today, do you believe? Are you willing to take a step of belief with him, knowing that he's by your side.
If you could bow your heads and close your eyes just for a couple minutes, I just want to lead you in a, a time of self-reflective prayer and listening to the Holy Spirit. I think that many in the church today have heard something from the Lord, whether it's recent or not, that God has asked them to do. And uh, you haven't moved on that. You haven't moved in belief. And so right now I would ask you to, to ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want to show me? What do you want to remind me of? that I need to know. And just listen to what he says to you. He may reveal something, he may remind you of something, or he may show you a very hard circumstance in your life and just remind you that he was there the whole time. Now belief, true belief, is always followed by action. So I just want to bless you with this blessing for today. Holy Spirit, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would move them to a place of action out of deep, firm belief. I pray that they would know you better. I pray that they would trust that you are who you say you are. And the next step of belief that you have for them would be very clear. I pray courage faith and strength over their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you all. God bless you in your next step of belief.